You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for tuning in to Sakina Society. I'm Abdul Wadud, your host for the show. And today we are discussing Futuwa and Shavuri and being a man in the modern age. Many of our elders and even the middle-aged from our community seem to bemoan the absence of manners and virtue, particularly amongst young men. So this stereotype of the overweight, lazy, rude husband seems well-founded when youths idealise and emulate rappers rather than Sayyidina Ali or any of the other greats of Islamic history. So we hope to have a discussion about the prophetic teachings on what being a man really means and try to unpack this rather confusing topic. We'll look at the factors causing us to deviate from this and how we can remedy it, inshallah. So our esteemed guest today, Sheikh Abdulaziz Ahmed, who is a well-renowned scholar, author, educator, translator, and a senior professional in Scottish education. He has studied around the world and has devoted much of his life to learning the Islamic tradition from some of the most esteemed masters of our time. We also have with us a local martial arts enthusiast named Zach, and he is uh, looking to promote a culture of fatua amongst the youth through martial arts and traditional Islamic learning. Assalamu alaikum to you both. Wa alaikum assalam. So, um, a quick browse uh, of the internet will allow you to kind of see some of the myriads of articles and papers uh, surrounding this kind of idea of the crisis of masculinity. So, starting with yourself, Sheikh, um, what are your observations about this topic? And do you think there is a crisis? And is it worse in Muslim communities? Uh, I'd be really interested in hearing your thoughts. Um, I think I think probably what's best is to go back to, to, to make sure we're talking about the right thing. Because what are we talking about? What is the word futur? What is chivalry? Now, futur is uh, classically translated or classically explains as ithar al-ghayr al-nafs, choosing the other person over yourself choosing the other over yourself um, and this appears in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and they choose others over themselves even if it causes them difficulty and if I could kind of expand on that a little yeah, bit if you, know yeah, mind, if you look at the verse there what actually happened about this verse is that they came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and uh, uh, somebody came to the Prophet and he came from, come from out of town, so to speak. So he was a, a visitor to the town or visitor to the community. And the Prophet Muhammad wanted to welcome him to his house and feed him himself. He came to the house and there was nothing in the house. He asked his wives, Has anyone, what food do we have? And they had nothing. So he went to the mosque and says, who has food for us, for, for, our, for the guests? Who has food for the guests of the Prophet And he immediately looked at Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, who always was the first one to answer. And he, Abu Bakr Siddiq looked down, meaning that he had nothing in his house. And then one companion stood up, I'll do it. I'll, I'll look, I'll, I'll take the guests of the Prophet But just give me a minute, let me check what we've got. So he goes home and he goes to his wife and says, so what food do we have? She says, nothing. We have just enough for, for the baby. You know, we only have, we have only enough food for the baby. She says, okay, put the baby to sleep. And then when I bring the guest in, blow all the candles out and then pretend that we're eating so that when he comes in, we'll pretend to eat. You give him the, the food that, that we prepared for the baby. So he comes, he's fed and he goes. 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down this verse, They choose others over themselves, even if it causes difficulty. So the concept of futuwa means to choose the other over, the, over yourself. And that's why we have in the word, when we talk about the crisis of chivalry, it, what it means in a, in a modern context is that the days are gone when men would get up to give their, chair, their seats to a woman. Meaning, mm-hmm. that they would choose the other over themselves. So you always put that, the other person as the priority. And there has been a change. There has been a massive shift. And no longer is this concept of choosing the other or preferring the other over yourself considered to be important. And uh, my, my wife is Danish. And uh, and I, I got quite a shock the first time I went to Denmark because I gave my seat to somebody and they took offence because men don't give up seats for women. This is old-fashioned. This is like it was an insult. Um, it was quite disturbing to me. Uh, but I found, after talking to other people, actually that's that's one interpretation of Danish society or where society is going, that there are still people that pr- appreciate this concept of chivalry because that was a chivalrous, chivalrous act of choosing to give your seat to somebody else. And it is going. It is disappearing. Um, so, so, so you're right. I, I think it is lost, whether it's more lost in our own community. Sadly, the concept of Fotua has long been lost in the Muslim community because the word chivalry actually comes from a chivalry, the French word, which was actually only kind of came into existence in about the 10th or 11th century when the French had experience of the Spanish uh, or the Moorish um, riders the, the Ahl Siada, they would call them in Arabic, the people of Siada. Siada means the leaders. So the concept was these great leaders were the people who rode on horseback, taking care of people, leading people, showing people the right, the right way, because they had the concept of Siada, and that's where the word Sayyid comes from. They had this concept. And so the, the, the aspiration towards chivalry was actually to aspire to be the Sayyid, of the community. And who's the Sayyid of all Sayyids? The Prophet who is called Sayyid al-Anbiya or Sayyid al-Qawm or Sayyid al-Anbiya or Sayyid al-Mursaleen. But what, why was an occasion where somebody came into the into the mosque and um, he was a desert Arab, a Bedouin, and he'd heard about this, this big shot man in the city of Medina. So he came and he says, Mana Sayyid! Who's the boss around here, if you translate it literally? If you, literally means who's the leader? Man is Sayyid, who's the Sayyid? And at this time, the Prophet was actually pouring water for the companions. So he was serving the companions. So he turned to them and he says, Sayyid al-Qawm khadimahum. The master of people is the one who serves them. So of course, he's not turning around saying, I'm the boss, which is what he could have said. But what he was describing is what real siyada is, what real chivalry is, what real leadership is. So the word chivalry actually comes into the French language and then into the English language through the concept of siyada, of being the leader, being the, and of course, the ultimate leader is the Prophet I think when we talk about the crisis of manhood, the crisis of manhood is because people don't understand who the Prophet is. And I don't think rappers and blame for this. Actually, they're not the problem. The problem is, is that within our Muslim community, the concept of, of our leadership and the concept of our the, the aspiration of real men or, or aspiration to be real men, the real role models of men are not necessarily um, 
well established as the Sunnah, the people of the Sunnah, um, if you look at the chances of somebody coming into the mosque and finding the Imam serving all of the people, it's mm. there's very few mosques where that would happen. Mm-hmm. And and so when we talk about Sunnah, unfortunately the Sunnah has been limited to praying this number of rak'ah. Uh, somebody was here the other day and I says, so w- w- how are you with Tarawih? He says, my, ma- my father would kill me if I didn't do 20 rak'ah. And I thought, well, actually, you know, the focus here is on on the outward form of, of worship. And so the sunnah only becomes worship-based, where actually, mm. where actually the sunnah of Ramadan is not the Tarawih. The sunnah of, of Ramadan is having a giving spirit. Because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, that he was, um, uh, or it was described, he was he was ajwad nas. He was the most generous of people. What ajwad makana fi Ramadan, and the most generous he was was in the month of Ramadan. And what's meant by generosity is that he gives and he gives and he gives, not gives money, but he gives from his character, from his being, from mm-hmm. his, from who he is. And so that's what's lost is because we focus, we've shifted from the month of Ramadan is not the month of smiling, the month of caring, the month of loving, the month of 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 being warm to each other, but the month of prayer and the month of of twenty rak'ah. Um and I think we've shifted the emphasis and that's where the crisis is role models within the Muslim community. Um Zach, do you have any anything to add to that? My thoughts are gonna be really funny compared to Sheikh's subhanAllah. This is for me that really, really well illustrated by a comedian called um, Bill Bailey. He said, are there any women in the audience? And there's this like really resounding, woo! And he said, are there any men in the audience? There's this this silence. (laughs) He said, there you go. That's because of the crisis of uh, modern masculinity. (laughs) And he said, being a man implies this idea of, you know, serving and being brave and knowing what to do in situations and being accomplished. But then he said, are there any blokes in the audience? <laughs> and there's this huge like cheer, like, yeah. He said, I said, no, a bloke is a much easier thing to be. <laughs> there's just completely different ideas of being a man and being a bloke. Hmm. Uh, I don't even think most of, I think a lot of people really struggle to be, even be a reasonable bloke these days. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's my only thoughts. There, there's a kind of a crisis, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so what, what's your understanding of Futua? Hmm, okay. Um, Mine is really quite limited, actually. It's kind of stretched to a, a talk I was listening to from Habib Ali, where he was saying that one of the understandings of Futua is it's like a strength with a perception that lies hidden, which then manifests to protect the truth. So I, I bet everyone understood that first time. So, so he, you might want to repeat I'm going to repeat it. They said it's a strength which contains a perception which lies hidden, which then manifests to defend the truth or protect the truth. And he also said that um, that chivalry also, or Fatua, is something that extends to, to women as well. And he used the example of the sister of uh, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, when she prevented him from uh, touching the, was it the Suhuf, who would have been back mm-hmm. then? And really what she did there was she, she protected the truth. It, it, that's a really very beautiful example, because it tells us what, what what that explains what Habib Ali was saying was that what what happened was that uh, Sayyidatana Fatima the, uh, uh, the, 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 the sister of um, 
uh, Umar al-Khattab had become Muslim from from well, well before that, but she'd hidden her Islam. Umar al-Khattab was actually on the way to killing the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He decided he was going to kill the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which is the ultimate. <laughs> you know, this is the ultimate uh, batil. This is the the the, the opposite of what could of, of doing right. And then on the way, somebody says, "Well." Actually, you should you should think about your own sister. She's she became Muslim. So he, this other person used it as a distraction to get him away from the truth. So he was doing fatwa in this sense. He was protecting the truth by saying, "Go and deal with your sister." So when he got to a, to the sister, of course, Sidna Fatima's husband escaped through the window because she heard Umar al-Khattab was coming. So he was protecting himself, so to speak, rather than protecting the mushaf. And when Sidna Fatima came and Umar al-Khattab struck her. Because she would, she, she she was reading Quran. And he heard he heard her reading the Quran, and struck her. And when she, when when he he struck her and saw the blood from, coming from her face, he realized that what she was protecting had more value to her than anything else. And at that point, his heart melted, and says, "Okay, read that to me then." And then she read, "Taha man Quran the the surah that she was actually reading, and then he realized. That this Quran had come down not to send to Litashqa to make you into a wretched person, but to make you into a noble person. And this man that I was about to kill had get inspired such dignity in my own sister and in, inspired such lack of humanity in me, had oh. turned to a, an animal who beat his own sister. Because she stood for the truth, and that's yeah. that's actually a really beautiful example of what what humanity and and the opposite of that in Arabic. I'm struggling to think in English here, but the word muru'a is what we use in Arabic for what 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 she had, which was humanity, and what he had was the exact opposite. It was like an animal that he was willing to kill a man for speaking the truth, and he was willing to strike his own sister, and and that's what he did, and then. He, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired in him and gave him the gave him the truth. And and that's interesting when, when you introduce Zach as a, a martial art a martial artist. Um, he's more than that. Mm. Because for him martial arts isn't just about fighting. It it actually explains what he was saying, which is, is this inner strength which manifests itself in this particular way for defending yourself. What do what do you both feel are the reasons for the decline or even the absence of chivalry? I think what what's happened what, what I think what what's happened is that we've misunderstand un, misunderstood who the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is. And really um, many of us have focused on like I say on the length of your trousers, on the number of rak'ahs you do, but very few of us focus on what was he like as a father? What was he like as a husband? What was he like as a neighbor? What was he like in dealing with the enemies? For example, um, one of my favorite stories of the Prophet وسلم, explains what jihad is all about. And this is a misunderstanding that we've, we've got at the moment, is what, what is the concept of jihad? But it actually goes back to what is, who is the Prophet If you understand, there was a campaign um, and... Uh, the, the the group of from Banu Hanif were captured, and the leader of the 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 the, the tribe was a man called of the of the, of the tribe was a man called Thumama ibn Athal. So Thumama ibn Athal was captured and brought as a prisoner of war to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. What did the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam do? 
as with all prisoners of war, prisoners of war, they were they were restrained. They were he was tied in the mosque, but every time it was time for meals or whenever he needed something, he was he was untied and treated well, to the extent that the Prophet sallallahu actually gave he milked his own she camel, with his own hands, and then sent that milk to his prisoner, Thumam ibn Athar. And the, the person that was delivering this milk was wanted to drink it. He's thinking, this milk has been milked, has been from the hands of the Prophet to his guest. It's, you know, so he did deliver But he's just doing his job. He gave it to him the first day, the second day. And on the only on the third day did the Prophet send a message. He sent to Sayyidina Uthamama, would you like to become Muslim? And Thumama uh, replied to the man who was delivering the milk, uh, I have no, I have no need of Islam. So he'd spent three days in the mosque receiving this, this gift from the Prophet sallallahu and seeing what the society was like, and he said this. So when the Prophet sallallahu heard this, what did he do? Chop off his head? No. Hurt him? No. He said, let him go. He says, well, Islam la haja ilayhi. Islam has no need for him either. Let him go. So Thumama left. He went to the edge of the city, he took a ghusl and he came back and took shahada. Because he saw the character of the Prophet and the character of the community. So when we look at how we treat people, if we focused on this, this aspect of the prophetic, prophetic message, how do we deal with people? How do we deal with our neighbours? How do we deal with our children? How do we deal with non-Muslims? How do we deal, deal with, with Muslims that are, have gone wrong? How do we deal with drug addicts? How do we do, deal with, 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 uh, with prostitutes? If we ask the question about all of those things, then we would know what futuwa is. But we don't focus on that. We focus on how many rak'ahs do you do in tarawih? Eight or twenty. And that seems to be what the debate is about, not about how do we deal with drugs in our community? How do we deal with 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 Muslims who are, have, are struggling with their sexuality? How do we deal with w- women that are abused? Now, if we shifted to those questions, then we'll be talking about the Prophet And if we talk about the Prophet we'll then start to understand what real manhood is, what really being a, a man is, because he's the complete man. And when Zach mentioned about women, it, the complete woman is greater than the the incomplete man. Hmm. And there are great, great women in our community, in our history. I'm sorry for telling... Can I throw one more story? <laughs> because it, when you, when Zach mentioned about women, it, it, it reminds me of, of the Prophet Sallallahu's own aunt, Sayyidatina Safiya. And at the Battle of, uh, the battle of uh, Khandaq, um, there was the, the, the women were placed in a, in a fortress in, in the south of the city. And um, and in that house was all of the household of the Prophet ﷺ, except two of his wives who were actually at the khandaq, actually at the trench on the front line, so to speak, with the Prophet ﷺ. And the, 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 the southern um, entrance to the city was breached, so the, the non-Muslim, the Quraysh, had entered. And so the enemy were approaching the, the Muslims, and they actually surrounded the house of the Prophet ﷺ, or the house where the Prophet ﷺ's family were. And Sayyidatina Safiya spoke to the guard, who was at that time uh, one of the companions, Hassan ibn Thabit, and said, do something, go down and fight him. And he says, I wasn't created to fight. You do it. And so she went down and she took a rock and she smashed the head 
of the person that were uh, that was attempting to to break in to kill the to to harm the, the Muslim women. So this this bravery, you know, can summed up be summed up in this. And the exam another example was when when at the Battle of Uhud, it was Sayyidat al who 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 protected the Prophet. So it was a woman who sneaked into the battle. Um, along with Umm Sulaim, these two women were there shooting arrows, fighting all the Muslim, all, all of the enemy back. And then the Muslims, a few of the Muslims, maybe five or six, said Talha ibn Abraidullah, said Abu Bakr Siddiq, said Ali, said uh, maybe five or six other people fought back. But originally, it was just these two women who were who were there protecting the truth. So this chivalry is not about only a uh, crisis within men. Because if I look at the community, there are some some fantastic, amazing women around who are more chivalrous and more manly in this concept. When I mean, I don't mean yeah. that's an insult. I mean that they are more of the qualities of what a real mm. man should be than many of our mm. men are. And so that's where the crisis is. And the cri- to get back to where to get out of that is to understand the Prophet wasallam, and then we'll have greater people, men and women. I mean, I was going to ask you about the like the rise of neo feminism and the contribution to it, but I think you've actually kind of um, almost avoided that whole discussion by no, by kind I, of. I think it's an important discussion. discussion yeah. I think it's a very very important discussion because what you have as a result of that is you have women, many of whom have adopted the characteristics of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. I'll give you an example of one one sister in in uh, in Denmark, who Ajib. Some one of the one of the strangest things about this lady is that she's not she wasn't brought up in a Muslim household. Her family were not in any way practicing, and then later in her life she started to take an interest in Islam, but had not at this point kind of made it very public. She was Muslim, but she if you looked at her, she didn't wear hijab, for example. She only prayed in private. She never came to the mosque. Um, she never talked about being Muslim, and and somehow we through my she was a psychologist, so I worked with her on a professional level, and I invited her to come and work with me on a project uh, to do with mental health. And I remember some of the things that she said. She come up with statements, and I'm thinking, where did you come across that hadith? You know, she'd say word for word something that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has said, and I realized that this was almost natural within her. That she'd had these kind of, kind of statements, which were inspired from within herself, which happened to be prophetic words. There are lots of women who then want to stand for the truth, who want to stand for haq, want to stand, and that have got, are inspired like this particular sister with very good morality, with good futuwa, with good chivalry, and they want to use this to make society better. But we reject them because they don't wear hijab. Mm. And what does that do? It pushes them into what you've described as neo-feminism, is, is this kind of, or, or feminism. You know, they, they become gender-focused. And then the, the chivalry that they show is all gender-focused, is that we fight as women for this. We fight as women for this. We fight mm. as women. And instead of fighting as good people. Whereas if we could break that down and that, Good people can be men. Good people can be women. Good people can be Muslim. Good people can be Muslims that are not practicing fully in the outward prayer sense. But those people just need to be helped. And there may be people that are really struggling with different things. 
So we need to re-look at that. And when you talk about feminism and neo-feminism, really all the crisis that we have there is actually created by us because we have not allowed women into our uh, society to function in the way they did in the Medinan society. Zach, do you have any, uh, do you have any thoughts about uh, neo, neo-feminism? Well, without risking really, really going into another topic and spending ages, a couple of thoughts are, you've basically just hit on the historical reason for the rise of feminism and the decline of chivalry. It's that ancient Greek idea. When you look at the the, the Greek attack on Troy, what you see is the commentator Aristotle saying, actually, it's not the strength of the Greeks that caused the Trojan the Trojan defeat. It was actually the weakness of the Trojans. Hmm. So it's like the not it's not the it's not the it's not the the strength of evil that causes it to prevail, but just the weakness of good. And that was obviously the, the metaphor with that of that was the arrogance of accepting the horse and accepting this great gift and not listening to people who who knew something was up as people wanted they really wanted to believe that was that was true um so in actual fact this 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 shocking absence of of uh, of chivalry is i think there's because it's the weakness of good um people have really to make that decision to be to be on the right side and to be good and to to not contribute to the problem um, so you actually uh, you asked me to uh, share a quote as well. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll just re- I'll just read it Please out. Um, His attentive treatment of her had nothing to do with the presumption that she was weak, and everything to do with the conviction that she was valuable. Tell us a little bit about why <laughs> yeah. you asked me to read that out. It's nothing to do with the assumption that she was weak. Like when the lady got offended in Denmark, you're saying, "Do you want my seat?" She's thinking, "Are you calling me weak?" No, I'm just calling you valuable. Mm. Um, and in actual fact, there's this idea that the equality has been equated with like sameness. Yeah. So Sheikh Abdul Hakim, I think, has got like the, a really amazing article to read called uh, "Boys Will Be Boys," and uh, it, it kind of making this point that equality is not the same as sameness. So what what really part of the feminist sort of argument that I probably wouldn't agree with is trying to trying to argue that men and women are the same mm. and because that is being pushed men are treating women as uh, as men one of the questions uh, I'd like to begin this section on is to to Sheikh um, Sheikh what about the crisis of masculinity could be contributing to domestic violence is there a link there and how has it been understood uh, historically as well domestic violence itself i think we've got a um two things working at play in 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 our area in glasgow we have something which is historic to the to the area of the west of scotland we have what we call the west of scotland man and the west of scotland man is a is is a macho has no uh you know, um, doesn't cry, doesn't have feelings, doesn't show feelings, and it's always. So we have this perception, which is which our young people are growing up as West of Scotland men. But in addition to that, we have a crisis coming from our own Muslim community about what it means to be a good Muslim man, um, and 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 how that contributes to domestic violence. The, the two coming together is that <coughs> the. 
Muslim man, or sorry, the crisis in, in what is a Muslim man is a misunderstanding of what the Prophet was like, as I said, with his wife. He never, ever struck his wife. He never, ever hurt a woman. And to look at the great warrior of Islam, for example, Umar ibn Khattab, there's a story about Umar ibn Khattab, about how he was with his wife. There was, uh, there, there was a... Uh, in the, when he was the ruler, so he's the ruler of the Muslim community. This is uh, as the Khalifa. A, a man was having difficulties with his wife. Um, his wife was giving her hard. The, the, the description in the hadith is uh, that she means that she was kind of always nagging him and going on with him and always thought, thought herself better than him, talked down to him and did what um, in the west of Scotland we might say deserves a slap. Um, but what did this man do? Instead of giving her a slap, instead of divorcing her, he went to Umar al-Khattab to ask his advice. He's the Khalifa and he's the manliest man of all. So he goes and he gets to the house and he hears Umar al-Khattab's wife giving him a hard time. Like, really giving him a hard time. And he just takes it. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't respond. He just accepts it. And, and he's thinking, wow, my wife's nothing compared to his. <laughs> so he goes home and he accepts it and he just, he just overlooks it and he says, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And he doesn't, he doesn't respond. And then a few days later, he, he actually tells the story to Umar ibn Khattab. He says, you know, I was about to divorce my wife because she treats me so badly or, and, you know, she's so demeaning towards me. And then I, and I heard your wife talking to you, but you're in Umar ibn Khattab. Why do you put up with this? And he said, she um, she cleans my clothes and she doesn't have to because in Islam it's not a duty. She cooks me food and she doesn't have to and in Islam it's not a duty. Um, and she protects my chastity, which is a duty. So he said, and she protects my chastity. So why should I not accept a little bit of slack, give her a little bit of slack and let her, you know, she does so much for me. And that's what real manliness is within our Muslim community. But we've lost that because when we talk about Umar ibn Khattab, we talk about him chopping people's heads off and hitting people and killing them and doing this and being hard on them. That's not what he was like. It was not what he was like. And when he was ruling, a woman cor corrected him from, he was on the member and he said something and the woman said, that's wrong. How can you treat women that badly? Because what he said was that the women have got a limitation on their, on their dowry. And he stopped and she said, the Prophet didn't do that. So who are you to, to put, put that limit on women? And he said, uh, uh, the, the, the old woman is right and Umar is wrong. So he accepted he's wrong. Well, so, so the real crisis in manliness has led us to not be able to deal with how, with our own anger, with our own response to situations that, Pull out, push our triggers. I can remember de delivering a, a workshop on domestic violence. Um, it was it was actually delivered in English, and I was translating, uh, and and I couldn't help but get caught in the in in doing this job because it was really. One of these Arab brothers turned around to me, turned and he says, "Yeah, but women often deserve it." And I had to translate this, and the, the women that were delivering this, including my wife, just like, like going to kill me, because I, I was just the translator. But what he meant was, and he was that sometimes women, he said, and he actually went, sometimes women push my buttons. I mean, my wife pushes my buttons, and she shouldn't. Now, if he was a real man, 
in the Islamic sense, he would have been like Umar ibn Khattab and not allowed a woman to push his buttons because people push our buttons all the time. Hmm. But when a woman pushes your buttons in your own home, you should remember she's your wife, she's your daughter, she's your sister, she's your mother, she's this. You put them on a pedestal and you accept what they're doing. And if we could get to that point where we, we don't respond with violence, then we'd be real men. So the crisis in domestic, the crisis in understanding manliness has led to domestic violence because unfortunately many of our men react immediately by hitting their their wives and, and women and their, their children. And um, what are we doing when we are raising our boys that could be causing them to have this crisis of masculinity? Uh, Zach, do you want to actually uh, take um, a little bit of this? And Because uh, I think you'd have some insight. You've got a little boy yourself, so I'm sure you're learning. Well, who's, who's got long hair, by the way? It's <laughs> my <laughs> Good point. Now, the reason I put that in is because sometimes we look at the, the outward and um, and if you look at the, Zach's son's hair, you know, sometimes you might think, well, it looks like a girl. Oh, yeah. Everybody but, says it. But actually, having long hair, the Prophet Sallallahu had long hair. And um, so it, it, it's, again, a judgment that we've got, which is not right. And if we looked at what is he like as a person, oh. that's why you should look. And that's so, yeah, yeah, so, so that's the kind of, what, what are you doing, Zach? <laughs> right, okay. Um, well, to, to make Adam, yeah. Adam. Yeah. Okay, well, to be honest, the credit goes to my wife on this one. Um, she's She does a lot of things to try and help. Um, she, she She's always been of the, of the idea that um, the children can start learning really, really, like, from the first day, really. Um, so she's been speaking to him and, like, she's been, I have a little two-year-old boy and my wife speaks to him in full sentences. Yeah. And will never, very rarely, she'll talk, talk in a babyish way. Like, you know, hey, little cutie wootie, but she, she will, she'll say things like, I want to go to the park. And then, sure enough, he's just started saying, he calls himself mummy, because we call, he's like, say mummy, and he says, mummy, want to go to the park. <laughs> so, a, another thing that, he, uh, that she does is, um, when he cries, she, she's tried to stop him from panicking when he hurts himself. So if he falls over, he'll turn around and she'll give him the hug. But she'll she'll be, she, she'll start cheering and laughing when he hurts himself. So she'll stack it and, and she'll be like, "Yay, come on, up, 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 up!" And sure enough, he turns around and and he'll, she'll go in for the hug. But um, and she'll she'll scoop him up and pat his head and stuff like that. But I've noticed recently he's just stopped panicking when he hurts himself. He'll cry if it's really sore and he'll let us know. But um, I have I've noticed certain my, my some certain family members they they baby the kids so much um, that it they'll just pretend to hurt themselves just because they want to they just enjoy the the inrush of sympathy and love. Uh, so maybe maybe there's there's certain things you can do from when you're a kid. But that's as far as my experience goes. My main thoughts on the topic are from a guy I met called Shiraz who was like super super manly. And uh, he's one of these people that back in the day used to be considered a bit of a thug, and now he's like a really nice, settled, married man. And uh, he, his his friend was asking him was asking him to um, about getting married, and he said, "Don't," he said, "You you should not be getting married anytime soon." And he said, "Well, why not? No, I want to get married, but and he says, "No, mate, you're a princess. Your mum treats you like a princess." <laughs> So you just feel like you get to sit down and get pampered and get entitled uh, to everything. And I don't think you're going to be prepared to treat 
your wife like a princess. And that's like the little street version of the story. Um, so, and do you, do you have any do you have anything to add to that? No, I just um, I'm going to send my we want Idris to to Zach's wife to <laughs> to, to, to man up. But one of the things that uh, again, Sarah, my wife has has emphasised is the importance of saying sorry. Hmm. You know, he always has to say sorry when something he's done something wrong, even if it's by accident. If he's hurt me by because we he's quite playful and sometimes can get quite physical, hmm. so he might end up, um, um, you know kicking me some you know hurting me he has to say sorry and that's another small thing towards being a man because a lot of people find it difficult when they grow up to say sorry and that's part of the problem of being of part of the crisis of chivalry so i'd like to just uh, continue on the discussion but actually take a, a focus on what are the solutions and what what is the what is the ideal man what does that look like? Of course, we all have some same way, or, uh, idea of what that might be through the characteristics of the Prophet But could you articulate some of that, um, both of you? I, I think the way forward is to try and understand the Prophet wasallam, and, and the way to do this is to look um, properly at his, what we call the shama'il, the characteristics of the Prophet Whereas often we, we, we're learning the fiqh, the, the rules of Islam, but we're not learning a lot about the character of the Prophet And there are many very important books, even among the books of hadith. You know, we tend to study the books of hadith which lean towards jurisprudence and not towards character. And so something like Adab al-Mufrad, the, 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 unique, the unique character, um, these kind of books are the books that we should start to bring to the fore in our curriculum and in our durus, in our classes, in our mosques. Our khutbah should now be about behavior. And uh, and if we start to do that, we will be starting to return back to chivalry. Okay, Zach, how about yourself? Ideal man, um, I just think a lot of it's being, being angry, which sounds really strange, but I think with regards to... The Prophet, I mean, the Sheikh once told us in our in our lecture in in a, in a talk that there was not was there not two types of battle, or it was like the where the Prophet's present and where he wasn't present. What are the words for those again? Khazwa and Saraya. Subhanallah. So there's if you want to if you want to scream and shout, then that's fine. There's there's people that need a good shouting at, and uh, I think a lot of people that are not being very chivalrous and shouting at, shouting at home probably aren't the type of people that would really shout at somebody if the situation called for it mm. so uh, part of Fatua and part of especially with wrestling part of wrestling is actually I think the ideal man really should have a good understanding of martial arts while we're on that topic but wrestling is actually like nurturing anger so if you have an unhealthy anger it's like nurturing that so you're able to apply that anger in the right situation and control it so when you feel the rage burst you should be able to constrict that and that that inner constriction of that feeling of want wanting to punch somebody if you could bring that out or if you could look into their heart i think you'd see two people wrestling you'd mm. see your nafs trying to lo- actually wrestle yourself and need to know how to establish a superior position because actually the definition of wrestling is establishing a superior position so you are trying to establish a superior position over yourself and uh sometimes that manifests in the in the real world so if you've gained control and mastery of yourself 
then you are able to physically restrain somebody who's not been able to restrain themselves. Mm. So, um, yeah, being being angry in the right circumstances, I think, is such a for me. It's just the most stunning thing. It's something that I, I ponder a lot. Is not actually the battle about walking just towards the battle. It's, yeah. it's a really dizzying, dizzying thought of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu actually right. walking towards a battle where he knows he has to be there because it's going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to be extremely, extremely difficult. There's a real fight. He was going to be there. So it's not that he can't get angry or that he, he can't do that. He, he was a warrior. Right. And uh, it's about, I think, through martial arts, you can actually learn to apply that in the right scenario. Oh, thank you very much. Um, what can we be doing with our young boys to ensure that they grow up into chivalrous young men? <clears throat> As I said before, I think studying those aspects is, is the foundation. You need to know. And then I think we need role models. Um, I, can all, I can remember of my teachers how they behave towards their womenfolk. And that's why um, I am... I learned more from them in their character than I did simply just attending their lessons. Uh, and so we need, we need to develop people who can show younger people how to to, to behave. And that's why buddying and, and, and just developing role models within our community. And, and where we have rising stars, so to speak, where we have people that have got particular skills, um, to, to push them to the fore and, and allow them to lead the prayer, allow them to lead the... Mm. For example, I think it's very important that the likes of Zach are seen to be leading the prayer, for example. The reason why that's important is because he's known as a, as a, as a, a, a good fighter, a, good, a tough man. But he's also known, as, as we've just seen, as a, as a gentle person. And he also should be seen as being the, the person that leads the prayer. And I remember in Chicago, we talked about, I was li- lived in Chicago for a couple of years, and there was one thing that, that really made a big difference to the, to the young people around there, was that I could shoot back, I could play basketball. Um, and at that time, you know, living in Chicago and being able to play basketball and being the khatib in the mosque was like the ultimate package for a lot of young people. And it <laughs> really brought kids into our 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 mosque because our mosque was actually a, a gym uh, oh. attached it was part of the school that I was working at I gave the gym over for Friday for Friday prayers and, and, and the regular prayers and in the evening I would be down there shooting hoop with the with the teenagers many of whom came to my own school so so that role was very very important so allowing people to grow and allowing people to have prominent positions is really important so it's not just simply you know the, the one with the longest beard leads the prayer uh, although you know it's, it, that's what we need to do so really push those role models to the forefront of yeah, the and where we see and where we see people encourage them to grow we need to develop develop our, our young people and allow them to, 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 to grow within the community so they don't have to go somewhere else because if we're offering martial arts in the mosque they don't need to go to the youth club hmm. so why why, what are we doing by not allowing them into the mosque? If we don't allow young people to come to have classes on things like the seer followed immediately by martial arts, what's wrong with that? That's how we're going to develop strong men. But somehow we've got this idea that the mosque is something which is sanctified and, and is therefore, you know, half is Quran and we have big signs on there, no talking in the mosque and, you know, no, you know, don't, no children allowed. And, you know, what we do, we're excluding people from growing up as active strong young people within our 
within our mosques. And Zach, um, this is actually quite a, a, to- a topic that's quite dear to your heart, I believe. <laughs> yeah. um, so what have you been doing with regards to teenagers and, you know, some of the solutions for you? Okay, could you tell us what you're doing and uh, what you're intending to do in the near future? Well, <clears throat> I've not had limited experience with teenagers, but when Sheikh Hassan started his uh, classes at the Zainab, uh, his uh, Zainab Kobold Institute, where he's basically made a kind of a new Islamic curriculum where part of their Islamic studies to do things like critical thinking and history and essay writing and stuff like that. Um, so it's really good. But on their break, he would take them down um, and I'd, I'd wrestle with all the boys, um, like on the break in between classes. And um, yeah, I, th- I think it's, I really connected with a couple of them really quite quickly. I find that once you're able to, as Sheikh Abdulaziz, show someone that you can play basketball or show someone that you have, I don't, I I really, I I struggle to understand how kids can learn from someone they don't respect. Hmm. If you look at um, Aristotle, there's statues of him, he's absolutely huge, he's a really serious tank, (laughs) but he was like the great intellect of his time. So he, I think, had, he possessed the qualities that the youth looked up to so they weren't like rolling their eyes oh it's Aristotle it's mm. everything they want to be is him mm. so I think when you have that then you're able to learn so what I want to bring is something from my own experience was that I really think I was a bit of a such a lout when I was a kid I was just such a I could, could if I was in the wrong place I just would have been a right little chav but I just happened to be in a really posh neighbourhood <laughs> so I became like a posh chav basically <laughs> <laughs> just really thought I was this little tough guy and I just really wasn't and what there was the there's two things that changed me there one was my uncle who is like the biggest Glasgow hard man um, but he's a real chivalrous person and uh, I was moping to him once and he just like just shut me down so unsympathetically and so harshly and I just needed that so much at that time and like I I think remember Sheikh Radwan said to us like you should uh, you should accept the, the the criticism from your master, even if it's like sort of, even if it tastes like so. Accept accept the bitter criticism of your 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 master. Uh, so I needed that, and the second big influence for me was my martial arts instructor, who was like this ex kind of rocker, like totally stopped doing drugs and now had this charity, but doing anti bullying and had a really busy martial arts gym. He's like no, actually a UFC coach, uh, and so. I, Sorry, he was a UFC coach at the time. So the UFC fighters used to come to my gym and I used to get to see them all. And uh, we trained with him. But he was really into reading and stuff like that. And he was just really hated drugs, hated fighting. But obviously he ran a martial arts gym. So I was just... every And he let me train for free for every spare minute. I was just always in there with like... I was Since the age of 16, I was training with like 30-year-olds. Actually, my dad had me doing that when I was 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> had me training with all the adults, the adult judo class when I was a young teenager. But he he was everything I wanted to be at that time. And I th- he just had such a good influence on me. So I think if we can replicate that experience in the mosque, then that's amazing. Because I wanted to start doing these classes before I even... The idea didn't, it didn't occur to me to do it in a mosque. Um, until I just realised it was brilliant real estate <laughs> this is next to everyone <laughs> so I asked so many people uh, if I could just put some mats down and start a little youth wrestling clubs or whatever and I just got a no from I'm not going to name all the organisations but all the big ones it was just 
they just kind of laughed at me and told me no. It was actually when I met Sheikh Hassan Rabani. I met him at my um, graduation from my syllabus and I brought up the class and I was moaning about the fact I didn't have a space and he said, well, yeah, you can use my space if you want. So he paid for all of the mats for us and uh, we slowly like kind of paid him back with the class fees and you were there, Abdul did. Yes, I, I did join our, and our it host was fantastic. Is, <laughs> our host is an absolutely amazing wrestler, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, only, by, only from the teacher that could I get that kind of phrase. <laughs> So, Sheikh, um, just on the back end of that, like, would you could you give any advice to just the individuals out there that are listening that might be interested in Fatua? How can they actually revive that? Be part of that um, revival of chivalry, almost. I think um, I could say that the first thing is to is to to study, to actually understand. Um, and go to the books that I've just mentioned about the, the Prophet The second thing is to seek the right company, um, to look to find people who you can learn from and you can be with to become better. And then the third thing is to do what uh, is to, to link up with somebody like Zach, where there's there's a group of people who who are are doing things and striving to get better. And and when um, Zach mentioned uh, Sheikh Hassan Rabani, he understands the Sunnah in the sense that I'm, I'm trying to, to, to explain, is that he knows that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wrestled. He did wrestle. Uh, and uh, when Zach said that the great wrestler is the one who's got complete control over his, himself, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said those words. He said, the real wrestler is the one who wrestles with, his, his, with himself and wins. I mean, he can wrestle with his, his anger. And that's why the Prophet went to one of the toughest of wrestlers. And this happened several times. He says, if I beat you in a wrestling match, would you become Muslim? And he says, you'll never beat me. I'll, so it's a deal. And he beat him. And there was a second it happened with another person. So when, when um, Zach went to different places and asked, can I do some wrestling in the mosque? They immediately said no, because the mosque is for prayer. Except Sheikh Hassan Rabani, he says, of course you can, you're reviving a sunnah. So here, this is what we need to do, is to learn what the sunnah, learn what the Prophet is like, have good company, and then join together with like-minded people so that you can start to grow as an individual and as a group. No, Jazakallah khair. Thank you for those last few words. Um, so we've been uh, discussing chivalry, and alhamdulillah, it's been a very beautiful show. Uh, so we'll be... We'll continue at 8pm tomorrow, inshallah, for Sakina Society. Thank you for listening. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.